This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, October 21st, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. There will be a new president in Ecuador, one who will have an opportunity to further re-stabilize the country after the long presidency of Rafael Correa. Cato's Gabriela Calderon lives in Ecuador. We discuss the opportunities now before the incoming president, Daniel Noboa. Before we started recording, you described uh, Rafael Correa, the longtime president of Ecuador, as something like Ecuador's Chavez. He served a very long time, effectively rewrote the constitution to favor himself, uh, and yet we have an election in Ecuador for president where his protege did not win. Uh, so what led up to this election and the election of Mr. Naboa to finish the term of president in Ecuador? I think Americans call it gridlock, <laughs> and it is uh, our constitution, which was drafted in 2007 and approved by popular vote in 2008, was drafted when uh, in Correa's, Rafael Correa's heyday, you could call it Rafael Correa's Ecuador's Chavez, and he's the poster boy for socialism of the 21st century in Ecuador. And, and this was their heyday. You know, they had a huge approval ratings, and they got this constitution, uh, this new constitution approved, which was socialism of the 21st century embedded in our constitutional setting. And, and it's a very, it's very hard to do market reforms with that framework. But I think there are ways still. So what happened? Why are we here now? Basically, the the president, Guillermo Lasso, that came into power in 2021, had a very market liberal agenda. But the majority bloc in Congress was still uh, Correa's party. And so there was this uh, th this gridlock. They wouldn't let any reforms through. And, and then also Lasso had, I think, a crisis of identity and he became uh, focused exclusively on the fiscal balance, on, on getting to a fiscal balance, uh, even if that meant raising taxes, which in the case of Ecuador and considering Ecuador's starting point, it was a bad idea. And so he basically spent his political capital from his political honeymoon when he was elected, raising taxes on the middle class and in uh, particularly professionals. And, and so this soured his base. And also he didn't have votes in the assembly to get any, re any reforms through. And, and then the security situation wasn't considerably. And that, um, uh, that was a final hit for his administration. And he decided to call for an early election through this mechanism we have in our constitution, which is called, I don't know how to translate it, but it, 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 it lightly translates as mutual death. So what it means is the assembly and the president both have the prerogative to dissolve government and call for new elections. And the elections, whoever comes out of those, is going to be in their post for the remainder of the period. In this case, it's uh, 18 months approximately. All right. So um, what are the politics of Mr. Naboa? What, what, what did he run on and, and what do you view as his ideological bent? Daniel Novoa has experience as a businessman and as a mem member of the assembly. Uh, he calls himself from the, he considers himself 
uh, to be a man of the center left, uh, though the press has uh, categorized him as center right, I guess because he's the 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 oldest son of one of the richest men in the country uh, that has a banana empire. Like he, uh, he's one of the biggest banana producers and exporters, but he considers himself and he did the campaign this way as a guy from the center left. His uh, proposals, I would not qualify them as uh, free market in the context of the political discussion in the U.S., but it's definitely the, the I mean, one of the most uh, market friendly proposals of the eight candidates we had here in Ecuador Uh, in in 2000 i mean in for the first round in in august and so the thing is that um he i don't think he expected to become president i think this was like a first show of his party to i mean to to become more well known at the national level we have a uh, a law that says that everybody that becomes a presidential candidate gets money from the state to do their own campaign So a lot of people use this mechanism to build their political careers for free, paid by the state. And and so he, he did, I think he didn't expect to become president. But what happens is that the Ecuadorian electorate uh, is keeps looking for an outsider since 2000, since the year 1998 or 2000. Every election, whoever wins is whoever looks like an outsider, like somebody that's has this flavor of, of being new and young. And that's what happened to Correa in 2006. But it is now 2023 and Correa no longer looks like the new kid in town. And so you have all these newcomers and one of them was Daniel Novoa. And he looked like a newcomer because he was not attacking Correa like all the other candidates were doing. So he did not participate in this discussion of Correa anti-Correa. And people saw that as something new and fresh. Uh, but I don't think he expected it. And his proposals are not very clear. I think he could, though, uh, most likely continue uh, a deepening of the relationship with the United States, which is uh, one of our main allies since the administration of Lenin Moreno. And it was Lenin Moreno who took us out of the orbit of China and, and Venezuela, And I think this is important for our country, particularly considering our security situation. Uh, it's important to have this uh, alliance with the United States also on the trade side, because because of the security situation, the United States has offered to extend trade preferences for Ecuador. And I think Daniel Novoa should focus on getting more of those. Even I mean, I know it's hard to get a free trade agreement because the U.S. president no longer has uh, authority to negotiate these without Congress, doesn't have the fast track promotion, but um, he could V for more of these trade preferences. And also Daniel Novoa could push through Congress. Uh, I think he would have enough votes to ratify the trade agreements that were negotiated by Guillermo Lasso, which include China, Costa Rica, and also South Korea. And also in the works are trade agreements with Panama, Canada, and the Dominican Republic. So I think if Novoa focuses on getting those concluded and then submit them to a vote in Congress, we could end up by, the, by May 2025 Uh, before the new full government, we could have a much more open economy, at least on the trade policy side. Uh, dollarization is a big issue in Argentina right now. 
Ecuador is famously a dollarized country, which in conversations you and I have had in the past has something of a disciplining effect on uh, the the government in Ecuador. What did did dollarization as an issue play any role in this election? Of course, I think uh, it was a very important issue because Correa is perceived as the anti-dollarization candidate, especially when his candidates and himself start talking about the issue. They can't help themselves and they can't uh, they are very honest, I think, when they talk about it because they constantly say that they don't like it. And they constantly talk about proposals that sound like de-dollarization. And this throws voters into a panic, at least enough voters so that they lose. So while people, a majority of the electorate seems to like some flavor of populism, they don't like populism with authoritarianism. And that's why they've lost twice already in a row. And, and they've lost, but not by much. Because, you know, with the violence, the wave of violence, people start looking to some form of, of authoritarianism as something appealing. And so uh, what what the economy needs now is to generate stronger growth. And it's not dollarization's fault that we don't have a more dynamic growth. It's actually the fault of all these policies that kept the economy closed in terms of trade policy and in terms of our banking sector, which is isolated from the rest of the world. It's nearly impossible for Ecuadorian freelancers that want to take part in the new economy of services to get paid online via something like PayPal, because they need to have an account abroad. And most Ecuadorians, they can't jump through the hoops and, and the transaction costs to be able to have that, to have access to that. They can't get loans from abroad. And, and we don't have uh, access to all the new products from the fintech companies because it's nearly impossible. It's not attractive for them to come here, to come to Ecuador to do business. The tax laws are, we have a global tax system Whereas Panama, which is also a dollarized economy, has a territorial tax system. What that means is that what you what what the wealth that is generated in Panama has to pay taxes in Panama. But if you bring your wealth from another country to Panama, it does not pay taxes in Panama. And that's, I think, the ideal situation. And that's, I think, something that Ecuador should copy from Panama. Because it, that's the natural complement to a dollarized economy, to have access to the world's financial system and to have access to this international pool of savings that can function as a lender of last resort. So if you were to advise Mr. Naboa on, on what he ought to do in his, again, short term as president, finishing out this term uh, as the president in Ecuador, aggressive trade agenda and aggressive deregulation agenda in pursuit of allowing Ecuadorans to more freely participate in the global economy. Yes, those two things. There is a draft law proposed uh, about five years ago in the National Assembly, and this draft law could be updated, and he could maybe get enough votes to get that approved to have... Uh, we need to build an international financial center 
that could rival that of Panama? And and why not look at the regulations that other international financial centers have, like Singapore, you know, and, and look at how the combination of their tax policy, their banking regulations, and what could we learn from them to have that? Because we already have the hardest part, which is the internationally accept- accepted currency, which is the dollar. Gabriela Calderon is a research associate at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please. And thank you for listening.